So today, what I, I, I just want to take, a, 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 I was encouraged as I was listening in, uh, uh, the, the verse on my, uh, that I wanted to launch with was Haggai chapter 2, which is verse 9, which it says that he would, the promise where he says in Haggai chapter 2, verse 9, where he says the, the latter rain, the former rain, and the latter rain, excuse me, the former rain and the latter rain are going to come together. They're going to come together. And then I was alluding also in thinking about this to about Joel chapter 2, which is interesting because in there is an incredible sequence of, of promises. There's about 30-something verses. And the most famous, of course, was made by Acts 2 when Peter lifted out of the prophetic scriptures to identify what was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. What was it? He said, this is nothing new, guys. This is, a, this is exactly what Joel prophesied. That in the latter days, I will pour forth my spirit upon all mankind. And they'll prophesy. The sons and daughters, they'll dream dreams. And, 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 and the old man will dream dreams. And the younger versions of that will, you know, see visions. Um, all sorts of things are promised. But, but before that is, again, that pattern, the latter rain and the former rain coming together. But what was interesting is that the way to identify this outpoured spirit in levels, in, in this kind of a sequencing of a rising tide, is kind of like the picture, is that it, the, the place it starts to show up, when the revival spirit starts to show up, was in the fields, was in the grapevines, it was in the harvests, it was in the infrastructure, it was in business, horticulture, it was a, okay. So our dear brother who just got up right here and started talking about houses being painted, houses being released in Fongare, and various other things like that are actually one of the authentic ways of saying from the Old Testament prophetic scriptures when God says, I'm moving and I'm bringing former things that need to make a comeback and new things that I want to add to the mix. So that's like your page where you're talking about in revival is that it's, it's old and new. It's the old wineskin sort of thing. He says, that, he says one that brings forth treasure, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, Matthew 13 verse 51 says, it's a wise scribe who brings forth out of their treasure things both old and new. It's not just old. In fact, the challenge of the scripture and the rebuke of Jesus who gave that scripture, he says the ones who just camp with the old, it's not about denigrating the old or casting the old aside. It's about hanging on to that, but at the same time embracing new. Okay, it's not about just because he said the danger is, is that you're going to call the old better. Don't want the new wine. That's why the antagonism comes oftentimes by the previous move that's kind of gone out, which it indicates the Bible says, what is, then, then what is the implications of revival? Why would you need revival? Well, the idea is that revival does tend to go away. It does tend to lessen over time. And so then it comes into need to revive again. I mean... Peter prophesied it in Acts chapter 3. He said, repent. Why? So that times, T-I-M-E-S, kairos moments of time can come from the presence of the Lord. 
injections of God into a situation from time to time is needed. Refreshing, and the word refreshing literally means to be able to breathe again because there comes moments of time where you feel constricted, you feel like, man, I can't breathe, and you need to... You need a breakthrough. You need God to come in and you do your place and just go boom. <laughs> and oh, the rhythms and patterns. So in New Zealand, we are faced with a situation. At least I am, so. I'm the speaker. You'll just have to listen to me. Whether, whether it's you or not, I don't know. You'll have to make up your own mind. But, but for me, I just offer a perspective. Do I want revival? Absolutely, because God wants it. So the more I love him and worship him and spend time with him and probe his heart, my friends, God wants this nation to be revived. He wants it to be Atero, the land of the long white cloud of the Holy Spirit. Saturating sanctuary islands that are set apart for purposes that are kingdom purposes. I know that you know it's set apart for the nations. That what God births here, He wants eventually planted out by Kiwi who carry that presence, who carry that seed, and go plant it in various parts of the world and let the Holy Spirit breathe on it and multiply it in so many ways. And so God did that in the charismatic move. Man who founded our church, his name Eddie Cairns, and Eddie uh, used to make trips up and down this country. Uh, he's an 82-year-old man, um, soon to be 83. He shuffles along. You know, he his body is worn out, but his spirit phew, fully alive. He's powerful. Um, it's interesting that uh, this last year, a man. Uh, who is exiled from China because he's such a threat to the government. He's a Christian man. Leads a huge network. And his one network alone in China is 26 million believers. All right? That he oversees from exile in America. He's pastoring from America 26 million people. And his desire and one of his dreams was to come to New Zealand to be able to take communion with Eddie Cairns, to say thank you to him for the delivery of one million Bibles in 1981. And there was another man from our church that was with him and several other Kiwis that were involved and Americans and various guys from around the world that delivered one million Bibles when there were 10 million Christians in China. And the Chinese church credit that one big, huge step of faith and act into 1981 as fuel that has fueled the church well past the 150 million mark. They say that's the one standout thing that was done by the help of the church from the West that planted those one million Bibles into China strategically in 1981 that has then been the fuel that has now fueled that and put wind and strength to become well past 150 million believers in China. And so this man comes and sits right down and buries his head in Eddie's lap on the front row. And then they praise and they have communion and, and various other things. All from Kiwiland. Now he's just a farmer. He, was a, he, he used to go up and down the country and, and he, he says he was a cow cocky. He would use that and say, I'm a cow cocky. And then he would sit there and say, I'm a butcher. 
He was also a mortician, you know. One of your kind. Just a Kiwi bloke. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Sat in the Brethren Church for years praying. Prayed to the Lord of the harvest to thrust forth laborers into the labor field. And he got up so frustrated one night. And he says, when is someone going to answer that prayer? He said, I'm putting my hand up. And the elders got mad at him and told him off. And, you know, and he, he told them off to return. And uh, he got, you know, lovingly escorted to the door got filled with the Holy Ghost and then started mission outreach and uh, has ministered in over 60 nations of the world and uh, there's probably somewhere close to 250 million Christians that possibly could be directly credited to that one man's efforts just one little Kiwi man 5 foot 8 inches tall maybe yeah so God loves this nation and loves the idea of this nation being a seedbed that he'll come and plant things in. To wrestle with um, and lead in that and to, to seemingly pour your life into something that doesn't seem to bear a lot of fruit, particularly like the church growth comparison stuff where it doesn't seem like you make a lot of inroads. It doesn't seem like here in Mori where that after how many years of sowing your life that, you know, this, you know, you've seen measures of fruitfulness. You know that. I know that. You say to the glory of God. But is it anywhere near to the sowing? When you could sit there, someone would say, what a waste. Hey, take Howie and Vicky and put them somewhere in some big other place that's got far more population and everything like that. What God had to show me, because I had those things. I had people telling me something like that. And I had others trying to recruit me to go off and pastor someplace in, in a bigger church in Auckland or a bigger, brighter, quote, church and various things. And the Holy Spirit whispered to me. He said, David, you need to appreciate things how I see them. He said, I don't look at it in the numerical. I'm not looking at you and what you do off in Tauranga and in little old New Zealand that's outside all the major shipping lanes of the world and off in some sideline thing. He said, I look at it far differently. And it's not until I've gone up out of here and then God has put me in somewhere. About a year and a half ago, I sat in a conference. And I'm sitting there on that road by that time and going, Lord, what am I doing here? Here's a man sitting next to me that is pastoring at a church out of a particular nation. He's got, he's got 10,000 or 15,000 in his church. You know, uh, this is cutting in and out. I'm technically challenged. Anybody with me? Sitting, what am I doing here? And the, this guy pastors this big church. He has got 500,000 intercessors at his command. He's the leader of 
500,000. <laughs> if we get five, we go, praise the Lord. <laughs> so you can add you, you. Are you with me? What am I doing here? This guy's got 500,000 intercessors. He's got a church. He's planted 450 churches around the world. He waltzes into churches and waltzes into to, to nations and is welcomed. He had an open door straight into the president of his nation. They were on a first name, cell phone number basis. And it's like, what am I doing here? <laughs> I, I pastor a few hundred sheep out in New Zealand and all this good stuff. The next guy to me is a prophet from, an, from, from India. And he runs a, a television network and reaches, a, it is approximated that his reach from his television influence is one billion. Okay? One billion. And he's in the room. <laughs> what am I doing here, God? I'm just pastoring a few sheep down. And then again, the voice of the Lord says, would you knock it off? <laughs> I handpicked you and put you here because you have something to say and there's a tone that's going to come on top of what you have to say that is not perfected in those parts of the world. I don't measure you by how many is in your church. I don't measure you by the size of your nation. I don't measure you. And then, you know, I, I, I clear my head and I think about New Zealand that runs embassies all over the world. Well, there are 22 states in, the, in, in um, India. 1.2 billion people in 22 states. And yet not one of those states carries and has an authority to sit in the United Nations or to run embassies around the world. Yet little old Kiwiland has the authority to be able to sign a free trade agreement with the largest place, the largest country on the planet called China, 1.4 billion people. Not that we may sanction everything that comes with that, but the authority to be able to enact that. So it's like David... Get over yourself, stand up in the grace, and deliver the message that I give you. Okay, Lord. Did it? Man on the right goes, wow, you have no clue. I said, you're right, I have no clue. <laughs> the prophet goes, man, he said, you're the first American I've ever would think felt like it was worth listening to. And I said, that's Kiwiland. That's the effect of being in Kiwiland. That's the New Zealand effect. Yeah. Yeah. So what God does here in the atmosphere, the, the seemingly contrariness, the, 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 the culture, the things that sometimes we bellyache and the things that we don't like about the government, we don't like about, you know, all that stuff. You know what I mean by that? Or do I need to describe it to you and read the fine print to you? God uses it to go after something in you. To perfect something in you. To mature something in you. He does not want you to be like the rest of the world. At all. Otherwise, he could go and have all that. He's God. The earth is the Lord. The nations are mine. He wants to do things here 
So you that are leading, you that are pastoring, here's a few things. Number one is you have to get used to pastoring or leading in a what I call the tension of mystery. The tension of mystery. Let me explain this. It's called the both and. It was described earlier by you, Wayne, where you talked about on one side, a person here has a perspective, and they have a truth. And they're looking over here on the other side to another person who has a perspective and, and a truth. And the thing is, is that both are right and wrong at the same time. Right in the holders of a truth, but wrong in the application of the truth. Wrong in the, in the marriage of truth to the full body of truth. Yeah. And so you have to understand that you are confronted in this nation, particularly with contrary things that are actually right. That's right. You have the right perspective. And however, there is conversely over here. It's human nature to want to camp around a truth. Because we can figure that out. We can step one, step two, step three, step four. We can develop teachings around it. We can step, you know, we can write books around it. We can, we can develop seminars around it. We can, we can put things on the internet around it. We can build churches around it. We can get into an emphasis on grace, 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 until there's only one truth called grace. Well, friends, you know and I know that grace is a huge part of the arsenal of God, but it is not the only thing. Some get camped around, you know, various things called mercy. We love mercy. You need mercy. Thank God for mercy. I'm up here in the, under the covering of mercy. Anybody with me? I shouldn't be ministering according to, you know, probably some things that I've thought or, or, or said or done or felt or whatever like that. But, you know, we have mercy. But to say mercy is excluded from other things. Well, it says in Psalm 85 that mercy and truth have kissed each other. Well, mercy and truth sometimes are totally, seemingly, diabolically opposed. Don't even seem remotely on the same page. And so here in New Zealand, I'm not talking about Asia and other places. Maybe they can get away with America. I was raised and we were raised that the church pattern is built around all the emphasis. You know, the Southern Baptists emphasize that. You know, these other guys over here, the Pentecostals, emphasize that. And these guys over here emphasize that. And you've got secret churches that emphasize that. And you've got this kind of church that emphasize that. But it seems like that in New Zealand, God does not like that. He wants us to learn how to appreciate the diversity and to be able to live what I call the tension of mystery. Where I know I don't have the fullness of truth. I'm not here representing and speaking to you on the basis of having a full grasp of the truth. I don't think anybody can in the fullness of that. But I do know that I have holders of various revelation that God has shown me. That he wants me to steward. He wants me to plant it. He wants me to preach it, prophesy it, speak it, do whatever I can like that. But by no means ever develop a language that communicates that it's exclusive. Or that it's the that it's it's the only way. Does that make sense? I think it's a unique quality that is demanded of by actually this nation. It's 
inbuilt into it. Now, it can work against us conversely and things of that nature. And so we do need God's grace. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to, to work through and stuff. But when you're leading and you're ministering, you know, Jesus, it says in John 1 verse 14, it says that, that we beheld his glory, that of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace. Can you finish it with me? Grace and what? Truth. It wasn't just grace. I mean, this wasn't truth. There are people that are truth people. Well, I love truth people in the sense that they, they have a good grasp of those things. They can speak truth. They can take the scriptures and do all various things. But they can also slice you and dice you pretty good if you don't watch it. I've had them. I have lovingly run them off. Either they change and mature and come into the living at the tension of mystery. I demand that. Because God demands it of me. I demand that in our church, that we live with the tension of mystery. If we don't, we get camping and get an emphasis. We'll, we'll get the emphasis, but we'll miss out on the fuller blend of the grace. I like coffees that are fuller blend. I like, you know, like food that's got a fuller display. God likes that too. He was full. And the word full there means up and overflowing over the top. It's not just filled to the top. It was, it was an overflow where grace and truth were constantly. And, of course, you read through the Gospels, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. Well, after you listen to what he had to say on the other side of I tell you the truth, you sit there, don't tell me that. Don't say that again, Jesus. <laughs> don't say I tell you the truth. He was full of truth, but he was full of grace and to truth. Yeah. The second thing in New Zealand that I hear God, and he's been trying to help me wrestle with. You mentioned an encouraging word to me, Wayne, and it, it, it's true. I, I've wrestled, 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 wrestled with things, and I'm trying to sort out, you know, ah, that's, it sounds right, but ah. Anybody get those sort of things? Or it sounds right, but you're just going, oh, I'm not sure. And you just wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. And, and it was a friend of mine in conversation with him. He said, Dave, Dave. He says, Dave. He said, what you're after, he says, is you're after fullness. The word fullness. And he said, what you want is a fullness church. Where the full are, a fuller expression of the arsenal of God's grace. A fuller expression of the wisdom of God. You know, Ephesians 3, 7, it says that, that he... He wants to display the multifaceted wisdom of God through the church to the principalities and powers. Not a portion of wisdom. Not a emphasis of wisdom. But he says, through the church. Are you the church? Are we the church? Yes, we are. So let me put it there. Let me personalize. Through the church in New Zealand, Aotearoa, I sense that God wants us to learn as leaders how to pastor people towards fullness. Part of the tension of mystery is to kind of lays the groundwork for that possibility of that because it doesn't allow you to go chasing after. I appreciate Greg's teaching, but I'm not, a, I'm not off. I'm not off. I've been in church. I was just in a church not long ago, and, 
And I was talking to the pastor, and I, I didn't feel like God was calling me to correct him. It's, I'm not a spiritual police officer. Anybody with me? I, I appreciate this brother. He's done a great work. But he's proceeded for the next 20 minutes to tell me everything about this emphasis of grace, 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 grace. But we just kept going. And the thrill is, is you might just go right out the door. <laughs> because there's an infinite variety of, of Kiwis out there. Some of them, grace is not going to reach them. Truth will. Facing them up with the darkness of their soul and the pattern of their life and some of the stupid things that Kiwis get up to that are arrogant and prideful and hard-hearted and they need to be smacked between the eyeballs lovingly, you know, lovingly, sister, <laughs> with truth. So we need the full arsenal. We don't need... We need the Holy Spirit who has the administration over all the fullness of the arsenal that was pioneered by Jesus Christ into the earth. He's the holder of that life. And he is charged with the responsibility to try to perfect that and bring it to some level of maturity in every believer of Christ for whom he foreknew. He did predestine that we be conformed to what? To the image of his son. Not conformed to a doctrine. Not conformed to a pattern and type of church. Not formed to a, being just a Kiwi and a Kiwi only. You want to be a kingdom Kiwi. Uh, people for years criticized. We had to work our way through. You're just out to build an American church. And the, the, the odd thing is, is that we're, people who've been around a long time will say, you're more Kiwi than the Kiwi. You're out to build a, a Kiwi expression of the kingdom. And that I am. Yeah. That we are. So you have to live with tensions of mystery. That seems sometimes, and if you're not comfortable with that, then in some ways you're going to personally as well as developmentally with those that God is using you to help in the growing, maturing process, you're going to cap yourself. You're going to cap people. And eventually, if they keep butting up against the lid, they'll do something about it. Now, some of those that are mature, and on that journey, if they've butted up against something that I have put a lid on because I'm unwilling to face the truth or I'm unwilling to be chasing fullness. They'll go find someone who will if that's in their heart. Now, sometimes it's not. Maybe sometimes they want me to be an emphasis. They want our church. David, pastor, and I've seen it. We, we had an experience in a particular church that was associated with us. We saw where a few people, nothing against intercessors, or nothing against what I call iron men worshipers who can go an hour and a half or two hours of worship and just think, Oh, I've been to church today. We judge a church service by, oh, well, we had, it was a good message, but all oh, the worship, the worship. We worship, worship sometimes. And so this, he pendulum swung, he pendulum swung to these people. There's five of them. There's only, there wasn't 20 of them. There's five. They were strong personality, good people. Good intercessors. Gosh, people who know the Holy Spirit. 
but have an emphasis or a bent or what you call a default setting or whatever you want to call it. They went this way. And when he swung the church that way, 75% of the church within six months was gone. Now, it's not about numbers, but numbers in terms of community and, and, and what that the Holy Spirit is able to use when they get on the same page, that's what went out the door. It wasn't 75 people. It was the unity of the Spirit held in the bond of peace that went out the door. And they had their holy club. And it was, it was, it was rich for them, but, but there was a great deal of people that were going, who were actually appreciated those people but also had in their hearts streams and strands and various other truths that they loved to see expressed from the Word of God, from artistic expressions, from various other testimonial elements and things like this, where there was a fuller array of God's working through a variety of things and ways that just did. And friends, that's a leadership responsibility. That's not a people responsibility. In a sense, it's a, it's a leadership responsibility. And so um, I was listening to someone saying, oh, I don't know why all these people are going over to this place over there. And I could, after we, Linda and I, who co-pastor together, this particular church sat down and we prayed, talked, thought about it and everything. And then, you know, um, and then listened to a businessman who had been from the church from the very beginning and stayed right to the very end. It was loyal, very, very good. Doesn't seem overtly very spiritual. Set in his home. He gave me the most succinct, wonderful analysis of that process of anybody I'd ever heard within one minute. Pastoring and leading is not easy in New Zealand. We can't afford to be stuck off in some personal emphasis that makes us feel better about ourselves. We have to die to that sort of stuff. Yeah. There are certain things that I like. There are certain kind of songs I like. There are certain kind of things that I would, if I had my way, I would architect it, engineer it, plan it, program it, whatever you want to call it, yeah. to my likes. But if the goal is I want to give the Holy Spirit every single opportunity he can, And I'm not going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say, I'm going to have to learn how to say goodbye to a lot of people, which I have. I've said goodbye. Linda and I have been able to say goodbye by the grace of God, and that only by the grace of God, to a lot of people. Because we refuse to be an emphasis. Refuse to be stuck in an emphasis. I'm laboring on this because there's so many in this Bible that what I call manifestation chasers. Not a put down. I love people who love the Holy Spirit, and I fall on the floor, and the Holy Spirit comes on me. And sometimes I, I, I feel like sometimes that it's like a big hand is pile driving me right down into the carpet, you know, uh, sort of things. And I've experienced carpet time, and I, I'm not okay. Am I chasing it? No. I'm chasing after Jesus, crucified risen again chasing him and I'm calling people to that and there are a whole lot of charismatic leftovers sometimes that we forget 
they want it they want it a certain way because they can measure that a wise scribe is one of the things who brings things old and new the new is unmeasurable never been there before the new are the new things that God wants to do and say the third thing is that which I've heard here today I've encouraged because all four points that I'm going to just give here just touching on you it's just affirming what you've been hearing in reports and various other things Friends, keep up this kind of thing. Uh, I wish that our city, I'm a bit jealous of you. I wish I could drive up to Morewe every time, you know, where you get together because I, I love to get with other pastors and leaders of a bigger picture because that's what you got to do. You see, God doesn't say, Here, here's how God works. He establishes a bigger picture and then calls everybody to align themselves to that. So, Individually, that's how it works. But somehow, pastors and leaders, mission organizations and everything, we forget it. We get a word from God, and we, just, we, we, we camp around that, and we get protective of that, and we start shepherding to that, and we start building that. And part of my journey that has been a very difficult one, to be honest and frank, and very public in front of everybody, because you're in a fishbowl environment as a pastor, was that God was doing a deconstruction. What I mean by that is one day he came and rocked my world when he said to me, David, I want you to stop building my church. What do you mean? All of a sudden, Bill Hybels, who's a good friend, and I've served the Willow Creek Association of this nation for now 15 years, and I still do that, goes off and says, your job is to build the local church. Got Bill's American voice going off in my head. I got Brian Houston, who we, we know and are acquainted with. Don't call him a friend, but your job is to build a local church. <laughs> going off in this thing, right here. Paul DeYoung, he's a great friend and has helped us on a few occasions where we've really needed some strong leadership. Right here, your job is to build a local church, and yet inside the whisper of the Holy Spirit, stop. What do you do with that? I've gone, the church has spent thousands of dollars on airplane tickets to send Lynn and I and other people around the world to different conferences and various things to hear the brightest and the best on all the things called church building. And he's saying, yeah, stop it. <laughs> what do you do with that? Does that mean stop leading? Does that mean stop uh, strategizing? Does that mean stop, you know, structuring and various things? And, and no. So I've been spending quite a long time trying to figure, what does that mean, stop building my church? I said, well, then, God, what in the world am I supposed to do with this thing called pastor? What do you do with that? He said, build my kingdom. Mentor it, teach it, preach it, model it the best you can. And that building material will come out of that teaching, preaching, processing by building the kingdom, teaching the kingdom, mentoring the kingdom, modeling the kingdom. Then in turn, I will take what whoever has ears to hear what the Holy Spirit's saying in relationship to that. And he said, you'll always have sufficient numbers, my son, in the church that I put you over with your wife to do what I've called both of you to do. You'll arrive at the intersection at the end when, when it all wraps up and I say, well done. 
You will have had sufficient people to do what I've called you to do. You will not be the biggest and the brightest in the town or the city. But don't measure it by that. So we stopped. Do we have conversations about structure? Absolutely. Do we talk about strategy? Yep. But we hold it in tension with this also prayerfulness where we say, Holy Spirit, are you happy with this? Is this what you want? Was, was that a God plan or a, just a good plan? And so we constantly, 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 constantly have now to where it's like second nature to us. We're always checking in. God, are you happy with this? Is that what you want? We're very discerning about anything we pull out of a conference from somewhere else. Very discerning. Very careful. Because we're not in charge of the church building anymore. What we are in charge of, in partnership with God, is that He has given us patterns of the kingdom, of teaching, revelation, understanding. And He says, teach that, prescribe that. Do what I told Timothy through Paul. Make full proof of your ministry. Do this, do this, do this. There's lots of doings there. So, pastoring and leading with the big picture in mind. So constantly I'm asking and trying to say, God, what are you doing in a big picture? Today you heard a bigger picture than any one church in the room. From Fongaray to even what's happening with a big political figure that uh, sometimes is huff and puff and Mr. Winston, you know, Mr. Peter used to represent Todong, by the way. You know, used to be. Yeah. He, he must have seen the light. Friends, I want to just finish with the fourth thing. Number four, you are ministering in a context where something's being rebuilt and restored. The Maori people, the largest church and the most effective, fruitful church that was ever in this country's history was Maori. It is estimated that upwards, nearly 70% of Maori throughout Aotearoa, in 1840 to 1860, came to Christ. Nearly 70% in 1860 of the nation was born again. Not just going to church, not just an Anglican, not just a prayer book. The the man who founded Tauranga, and uh, he's got his documentation. He was a meticulous diary note taker. And so we've got his things that we can read up on what was it daily like for him. In 1842, or between 1840 and 1842, he baptized 900 plus men and women in rivers and streams. And he put them through all sorts of questions and all sorts of things to make sure that before he did that, he knew that they were born again, that they were fully uh, under the lordship and leadership and moving that direction in their life. It wasn't sort of like, oh, well, let's just baptize you. It was like he put them through the grit. And he could sign off on them and back at that, that, that 900 plus. That, he was the, there's no one that I know of in our, our city's history of Pakia history that has got, that's baptized in the space of two years nearly a thousand souls. When, when Tauranga, the, the, the resident Maori population was 2,500, 
And the vast majority turned up for church on Sundays. So from that point, since 1860, about 1864 or so, and onwards, we are in this pendulum swing to the Pakeha settler side of things. We've been in, the Holy Spirit's been in a mode of saying, that's, that's okay, well, bless what's blessable, but there's a whole other arm of the church over here that I need to restore. I need to bring back. I need, to, I need someone to get on page with me that'll do what it says in Isaiah 62, verse 10, where it says, go through the gates, go through the gates, clear a pathway for my people to, re- to return. Take out the stones of offense, remove, smooth out the roadway, get it level and, and everything so that there's no major obstructions and everything. And then once you've done all that, raise a banner, raise a clear signal so they can know the way. Five incredible steps. We are pastoring an environment in New Zealand where the Holy Spirit, with not a lot of cooperation and not a lot of participation by the white majority, where he is endeavoring and has been in a restoration mode for 150 years to restore those people back to himself. And that I don't see a full-blown revival in this nation of Aotearoa, the long white God, dwelling on this country until we start partnering more with the Holy Spirit and wanting to restore a people group that he once originally poured out and was the most effective they had the best evangelists. They had the most numbers of people. That the, the, the largest church in our city's history could be arguably, when you talk percentage-wise, was a Maori church. And that's not me. That, that's the history books. That's the facts. That's not me taking something and you know, twisting it and giving it some alternative history reading. Those are the facts. That's the truth. And the Holy Spirit has been saying to me and trying to get me. I remember on a Mariah, and this is where I'll, I'll finish and have Linda just come briefly, is this. I'm sitting on a Mariah, a great friend of mine named Monty Ohia, um, an educational man. He was, at that point in time, the leader of the NZQA authority in Wellington. And he would take time and schedule in his schedule to go to the Marais and sit down over in... Ruatoria over on the east coast and he would come up to Northland and he'd go down to the south and he would go to his wife's place in Picton there with the Marai and he'd sit down and go with the Komata and, 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 and call them and talk to them and Koreo with them about Jesus. He died at 62 years old uh, of a heart attack and a year later uh, when a Māori man named Rototowira was being installed as the YWAM leader for the country, still is. Um, we were at that induction ceremony at a local marae in Tauranga, and, and, and uh, Monty's son gets up, <laughs> and he's sitting there, and as he, he stands up, he talks about his father, this incredible totora that he called him as, as had fallen. And, but he said, my father's vision was this. He said, my, va- my father's vision was always that Maori would come to Jesus. Here's what the Holy Spirit did on the spot in my heart. It's like a knife went through. I, went, I mean, literally, I was on the moment. I was in front of a lot of people. I was part of the welcoming team, had been roped in and adopted in. And I just about visibly went, oh. 
Because the Holy Spirit said to me, he said, your vision is that Māori would come to church. Māori would come and become Pākehā. Māori would come in and fit into your club. Māori would come in and adjust and become discipled to become like white people. I repented. Tears started leaking out. Thank God I didn't have a speaking component in the in the procedures and stuff but I've never forgotten that moment so I don't sit there and try to put any pressure I don't try to any which way to try to but I labor and work and pray and in intercession and talk wherever I can to build pathways to remove obstacles to tear down things that need to get reconciled or whatever in every which way form so that Pakeha, who in some ways I think are on hold in certain measures until we become partners with the Holy Spirit for what I think he wants to do in restoring an original people group of this land to Jesus. To complete, to complete a covenant that's like marriage, Isaiah 62. That's, that's a, a bicultural picture that then makes room for multicultures to come and find their Turanga Waiwai, a place to stand. In Aotearoa, like I am a son of Tongata Tiriti. I am a son of the treaty. I've been adopted in. I'm not, I'll never be Maori, and that's okay. But I need to partner with the Holy Spirit in a bigger picture to see that Maori, which is tough it's hard pastoring and leading a church in this kind of environment with the things that this nation presents to itself is not easy sometimes i know it'd be easier to get off in some other place where you can then chase an emphasis and it seems like god blesses it but in this land in the tension the picture the prophetic picture of the treaty itself gives us a both and picture that says you've got to wrestle with the tension of mystery and if you don't you're not going to come into why I've chosen this nation. I've separated it out. I intentionally placed it physically away from all those, including your cousin bros across the ditch. I've separated you far enough to keep you unique because I want to do something. I'm jealous over you. I want to do something with you. But you're going to have to enter into these zones with me. Let me do that. That's what I sense God's been saying. He's been, that's at least what he's been hammering me with. So I just hammered you lovingly with what he's been speaking to me about. God bless you. Here we come, sweetheart. Please, please come. Lead us in prayer or whatever. Good word. Um, I'm just going to um, pray in closing. Um, but just want to share because... When we talk about offense and we talk about rocks and we talk about those things that God needs to restore within us, every one of us has been betrayed, or you will be. It's just part of the package. It's just part of being human. It isn't even about leadership. It's not. It's just being about human, is that we judge that which we don't understand. And um, like David said, we'll be married 40 years in October. And there's still 
moments of not understanding one another. All right? So, and we work, live, breathe, eat, sleep, everything together. And so you and I will be judged and we'll be misunderstood and we will be betrayed. So then therefore those moments of betrayal, they either become a rock that's embedded into us that causes us to stumble or it will be cause us to step up into a greater place in God. David gave you four points today that would allow us to relook at maybe just one thing that we're doing that will cause us then to step up rather than than, than tripping over our offense. Um, <clears throat> like you, we've been betrayed and on several occasions by very close friends. And uh, one thing God spoke to me, I said, God, I don't understand, you know, betrayal. It's like, these are our best friends. And he goes, yeah, well, an enemy doesn't betray you. So why do we think that, you know, we haven't, we're so worried about our enemy out here, but an enemy won't betray you. An enemy's an enemy. It's your friend that betrays you. It's the one that you've put trust into. It's the one that you've put care into. It's one who you have loved. And so, therefore, I'll just, I felt to share our, a brief testimony is um, in 2008, um, every year God gives me a prophetic word for the, for the church, for the year. It's our theme for the year. And as ironic as right now we're doing a series called Clean Slate. But in 08, it was called Clean Slate in 08 was the prophetic word. And God cleaned house. And the enemy cleaned house. We had a church split. It was a betrayal. It was like the worst case scenario that you'd ever imagine. And these were our best friends. These were ones that we'd been in ministry for 17 years with. Um, we, and, and it was one of those moments, I don't understand, God. How did this happen? These are our friends. This is, no, these are our family. We moved their family of five into our house for five months so they could build a new home. We went on holidays together. Our kids were raised together. How does this happen? I don't understand. We'd cried before the Lord, and, and how did this happen? We did this, this, and this, and this. And God spoke, and he said, did you have any strings attached, Linda? And I said, no, God. We just love them. And he goes, well, don't attach any strings now. And I was like, oh, Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, why is it that we're so conflicted about when somebody hurts us and we forget about our love? Matthew 22, verse uh, 57, Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and a second equally important. Have you ever thought about when you're trying to put out a value and you think, I need that one, I need that one, I need that. But if I put that one first, somebody's going to think that's the highest one, but this one's equal to. Can you imagine God? Here's a great commandment, but here's an equal one. It just happens to be the next one I'm going to talk about. It's not because it's second. It's actually equal to the very first one. And it says this is, and um, this is it. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So we have an offense. We have a difficulty. We have a moment where we're conflicted of heart. 
And God says, what are you going to do about it? And this is every day. This isn't a once, this isn't just something that happens in 2008 or something that happened, you know, and 50 years ago when, when somebody crossed over you. This is an everyday occurrence is that what we're going to do with my love. Because the abundance of my love causes you to forget. It causes you to be removed from. And David talked about, you know, the, the coming together of what the Holy Spirit wants to do. In order for the Holy Spirit to move in our heart and life, we have to let go of the obstacles of our own heart. We've got to remove the boulders. We've got to make clear pathways for the presence of God to walk into our life so that we carry him well, that we carry him with substance, we carry him with principle, we carry him the way he is worthy to be carried. And so in that is that about six months later, I was, of course, you know, you forgive, and of course you walk through, because I, I, I've been a Christian my whole life, and there was no, there's, there was no moment where said, I knew that I could hang on to this pain and judgment toward them. They hurt us. They split our church. And I couldn't be that person because I'm not that person, and neither are you. And so it was like, okay, God, I forgive. I forgive. I forgive. I've said the words. I prayed the prayers. I forgive. And then about six months later, it was before the Lord, and I said, God, have I forgiven I've said the words, I've prayed, but have I forgiven? And David said, like, the Holy Spirit speaks to us pretty straight up because we speak to others pretty straight up. And he is like a two-by-four hit me over the head. It wasn't a knife. It was a two-by-four. And the Holy Spirit said, well, if you haven't, I cannot use you. You are ineffective for me. And it was just like... Okay, God, because the only reason I do what I do and live the way I live is to honor him, to be effective for him. And so it doesn't matter what has ever occurred in our heart and in our life. It doesn't matter how, how many times we've been accused or broken or hit upon or discouraged or lashed out upon. Is like, what are we going to do with our own offense? Are we going to remove it so that God can have a clear pathway through our heart? That he has a clear pathway so that we can be not only reconciled, but we can be reconcilers to a community, to, to those that are in great need. And so at that moment, I said, oh, God, you know the only thing I live for is to be not only not only used by you, God, but noticed by you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for today. God, I thank you for, God, the positions that we are all in. But first and foremost, God, we're your children. And God, you've come in our midst. You've walked into this Hallelujah, God, you've walked into this place. And God, you've bestowed your honor upon us because you've come with your presence. And God, we ask now simply that you will remove, God, from us areas in our own heart that are stumbling blocks to us, let alone to others. 
And that, Holy Spirit, you will have your way in us, O oh God. That we will go to those hidden places of our heart where there's been hurt and offense. And we allow you, God, to go there just as I did and said, Oh, God, if there's any wicked thing in me, remove it. God, move, God, in each of our hearts in our life. Because, Lord, it is, we want to have that old-fashioned song resounding that the king is in residence here. And that we are building your kingdom. God, it says that the gates, Lord, of hell can't even push against, Lord, what you build the church. Can you imagine what it's like when we build the kingdom of God? There is no effect, God, of the evil one in the kingdom of God. And so, God, have your way in us, Lord. Remove the stones. Make, it, make us aware, Lord, of those things that trip us up. Because, Lord, if they trip us up, then we'll be tripping up others. So, Lord, have your way. Bless, Lord. David and I, have just it's been such a privilege to be here. So we bless, God, your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.